Hello and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news, and give you unique insights into the industry. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 116th episode in a show called Burn Baby Burn. Today is Monday, the 29th of February, leap year, yay, and we're going to talk to Nils Anderson, designer and programmer for Campo Santo, for the game Firewatch specifically. So welcome to the show, Nils. Glad to have you here. Hello. Yes, of course. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's really nice. Well, we're excited to know what is going on for your news of the week. What What are you working on, or what's going on in your life lately? Uh, well, what's going on in my life is in about in inside of a week, maybe two, maybe two at the most. Um, I'm going to be responsible for the well-being of another human being. Uh, so that's ah, that's what's consuming my thoughts. Thank you. Yes, my wife and I are having our first child. Some sometime very soon. <laughs> Don't um, you love how you can't schedule if, that? If if all of a sudden I have to say I'm very sorry, I need to go. Uh, that would be because my wife went into labor. Yes. Because it literally could be any moment now. <laughs> wow, that's exciting. Yeah, so that is that is what's consuming most of now. Now that the video game baby is out, yes. the the human baby is now consuming all of my mental bandwidth. Well, just think, you're well prepared, right? You're used to long nights, little sleep, you know. Kind of making up things on the fly, probably. You're, you're well prepared for yeah. Well, see, the thing is, a buddy of mine, he just had a kid, like, a couple of days ago. And he's also an independent game developer. And he's like, you know, what do you think about it? It's like, yeah, you're going to be up all night, late, whatever. But you're also not being asked to solve complicated <laughs> logic puzzles at the same time. <laughs> so it doesn't seem as bad. Like, if I'm just like, uh, here, baby, I will, I will, I don't know, I'll move you around. Like, that's much easier than, <laughs> you know, when someone looks at this thing and then walks over here, the game crashes, like... I will shake you, baby. I mean, gently, soothingly. Very gently, Menacingly. Yes. Very gently. More of a rocking. Let's say a rocking. I will rock you gently, baby. Um, that is seems a lot easier than building a video game. Of course, I guarantee in a, about a week I will eat I those words. I think that you will. Completely. Because there's solid answers there. You know, there's a, there's a definitive, this is correct, that is not correct. With babies, they yeah. just don't know. You just do things, no, That's they stop. True. That's true. So we'll see. <laughs> Okay, so since we're yeah. talking about children, let's go to your childhood games. <laughs> were you a gamer as a kid? Did you like them? Oh, yeah. I did. Um, I kind of had a weird uh, upbringing when it comes to media. Um, I grew up, this is not a coincidence, part of the reason why Firewatch is where it is. Um, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming, uh, a tiny town called Jackson, um, just south of Yellowstone. And funnily enough, the, the game's writer, Sean Vanneman, and one of the two co-founders of Campo Santo, he also grew up in Wyoming in a town called Cody, which is just to the east of Yellowstone. And if you were to draw a line in between Jackson and Cody, right in the middle is the Shoshone National Forest, where Firewatch takes place. Um, but growing up in like a rinky-dink town in Wyoming, like our house was on top of a, literally on top of a snowy mountain. Um, so while we had like the physical object that was a television, we didn't have any reception. We had no channels. Um, so growing up, the only thing that TV was good for <laughs> was watching movies on VHS Aww. or playing console games. So I played a lot of games growing up. That was like my primary form of TV entertainment because you can only watch, you know, like Beauty and the Beast so many times <laughs> before, you know, every moment of everything. Um, so yeah, I did play a lot of... Uh, Super Nintendo's, NES and Super Nintendo stuff especially, you know, rolling on through Nintendo's consoles and eventually somewhere in there getting a, getting a computer and then doing a lot of that as well. Interesting. So is, is the art then based on that area? Is it a real location? Oh yeah, the Shoshone, Na I mean, like that specific literal lookout tower isn't a look, there is no, as far as we're aware, there's no lookout called Thoroughfare Lookout. Um, but the Shoshone National Forest is, of course, real. What the place looks like and what it is meant to feel like, I'd like a lot. I mean, every single location that the characters in the game talk about that's not another lookout tower that we made up, those are all real. That's all just stuff in Wyoming. I'm going to reveal my complete ignorance of geography and say, is Jackson Hole, like, there? Is that, cause I, is that where it is? Because like, is it a river that you can white water rapid down near there? Because I feel like I've done this. Have you been to Jackson? I feel like I have. 
Maybe. If you, if you went to Yellowstone, you probably went to Jackson because it's like the only town before you go to Yellowstone. <laughs> yes, I think I actually have. It was one of those things where I was a teenager well, and I just didn't want to be there because I was a teenager and I would rather listen to my music and ignore my parents. I remember driving through right. many, many miles of forest and, you know, hilly things and canyons everywhere yeah. and all that stuff. Wow. That's a, that sounds about right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, so, anyway, that's the tiny, so you vaguely remember it. You're like, it was small, and there was nothing there. Uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was my life until I hit age of majority and left for university. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're on the West Coast, right? Isn't uh, Santo Campo yep. on, uh, is it San Francisco? Uh, mostly. Um, I'm actually up in Vancouver, Canada. Um, I'm up here in Vancouver. Uh, two of our folks, Ollie Moss and James Benson, they're both in England. Ah. In different parts of England, actually. And then everybody else is in San Francisco. Okay. That's a t- so time zone fun, like, fun games. Yeah. For, for me, it's fine, because we're all on the West Coast. But for the guys in, the, in England, it's a little bit more of like, the, oh, there's like the hour and a half in the morning where they're still working. They haven't quite finished up working, and people are just rolling into the office on the West Coast, where it's like, that's kind of our info exchange overlap. <laughs> um, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so now you and the history of make, making games and designing. How did you decide that you want this to be a career? Um, let me see here. I, I was always definitely a, a big old Dorco kid growing up. Um, but similarly to the, you know, not having a TV growing up in Wyoming, like there's only one high school in my town, and it didn't have any, like, programming classes or anything like that. And, you know, when I grew up, the internet technically existed, but we just had like a crappy 56k modem that I could only use late at night when my mom didn't need to have the phone not be used by the mom. Oh yes, the days. Um, oh yes, those days. Uh, those good old days. So I knew nothing, effectively nothing about programming of any stripe before I went to university. Um, you know, I, could, I, I had made like a very bad GeoCities website, <laughs> maybe, probably. I think I did that at some point, uh, but that was it. And that's not, I mean, that's not real programming, right? Um, but you know, I was a Dorco kid. I liked computers, uh, and I always liked you know logic and problem solving. And so when I was like, you know, with that perennial, what do you want to do when you grow up? Question was asked. I'm like, I don't know. I like computer stuff. <laughs> so I went to the University of Colorado Boulder for computer science. Um, you know, thinking that maybe that could somehow turn into making games professionally because like, I knew, you know, at, at, in my brain, at, I knew at some level human beings somewhere had to make games, but it definitely wasn't like it is now, right, where you have like dev streams and people have crazy tutorials on the internet and stuff. I'm just like, I guess people far away somewhere must make this somehow. Like that's literally all I knew. Um, but four years of uh, computer science undergrad and then two more of grad school was enough, was enough time to figure out how this stuff is actually made. <laughs> and then it was definitely a thing that I realized I wanted to do. Um, the the actually cr- satisfaction that came from creating games was something that I was exposed to way more. Uh, playing tabletop RPGs. Again, giant dorko. Um <laughs> Because that, I mean, that's effectively like what, like if you if you are you know writing D and D or Shadowrun or friggin' GURPS or whatever, uh, if you're making up like scenarios and encounters and adventures, stories, whatever for your friends, that's basically doing game design, right? Like you have this rule set and you're trying to build encounters and moments and stuff that exist inside of that rule set that will be interesting and engaging. It's just you're building it for a group of like five people that you know instead of potentially hundreds of thousands that you don't. Oh, um, I never thought of it that But way. that's fun of that. Yeah, that's basically, you're basically doing game design, right? Um, and that was the thing that I'd always been super interested in. Like, I was always the person who was happy to be the DM, both in terms of, like, it was really interesting tinkering with the rules, as well as, you know, you get to make stuff, and then other people getting engaged with it, and you get to be, they enjoy it, but they surprise you doing things you weren't expecting and stuff like that. Um, so that was the thing that I'd done, like, I don't know, probably starting like grade eight or something. Um, and just kind of kept on with through high school and undergrad. And so then you take that, like, I like designing game stuff 
like just thinking about games as systems and things that people engage with and you slam that together with the computer science education aha okay now you actually have the wherewithal you need to be a technical person who makes games I find that the people that I know that are game designers don't often have that technical know-how. So that's pretty cool that you have that cross-platform kind of uh, skill set. Yeah, I'm actually a pretty staunch advocate that if you want to be serious about design, you can't just... Like, your, your skill set can't stop there. <laughs> if you want to do a class, you know, with, like, art, or maybe, like, being a sound designer or uh -huh. something, or, like, a composer, that's really valuable as well, but... The thing I find is, even if you have a relatively rudimentary understanding of like actual technical implementations, coding, scripting, whatever, um, like it just saves you so much time working in digital games. Like, if every single time I had some weird idea, if I had to like write it up in a coherent fashion, go over to to, to a, a capital P programmer and say, "Hey, can you do this?" and let me know when you check that in so that I can look at it, that would just drive me bonkers. <laughs> That's the thing, right? With small companies, when you get together, it's always, can I find all the pieces that work together because I have an idea, but you can make things, but you don't have an idea. So we have to talk to each other and work this thing out. But you're like, <laughs> you're like I will do it all myself. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's like, especially as, as things get closer to the metal, you know, that's I, I, I will make no bones about the fact that I'm a profoundly mediocre programmer. <laughs> like, I can do just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> um, if it's like we need to rewrite the shaders, I'm like, cool, that's somebody else's job. Um, but like anything that's player facing, I'm relatively comfortable. Like at least doing like the crappy, inefficient version of, and then showing it to some people and being like, "So, a cool professional programmer." In the case of Firewatch, I'd be like Will Armstrong, our gameplay programmer, be like, "Did I do anything horrible in here? If so, let me know, and I will make it better or kindly ask you to do it." Nice. Um, pausing here, you did say that you're recording on your side too, so I can grab grab your audio afterwards if you if you are. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Yep. Yeah, it's already ticking Excellent. along. Okay. Well, speaking of the other people involved in your team, some of them, um, Jake Rodkin and Sean Vanneman. Definitely want to talk about them because I'm a huge fan of Telltale's Walking Dead. You are not in a small no. number. No, I'm feeling not. That, way. I also, I, that, that is actually part of the reason why, um, I mean, I'd known Sean and Jake for quite a long time because the industry just isn't that big. Um, and we had a lot of common friends in common and stuff, but... After they'd wrapped up that first season of The Walking Dead, it was about the same time that I'd finished Mark of the Ninja, we just happened to all see each other at GDC. And then Jake, I think, mentioned, was like, you know, we're thinking about maybe starting our own thing to do this weird first, per this weird, like, first person game. And I'm like, really? <laughs> we should keep talking. And a large part of that was that I had, you know, enjoyed The Walking Dead so much, right? Like, it's, it's, it is so difficult to do adaptations in games of based of almost of any stripe, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially ones that I would say outstrip at least some, if not all, of their source material. Um, and Walking Dead was just so bloody good that I was like, "You guys, we should, we should find a way to do to do a thing together." Exactly. Well, you have such a weird audience for The Walking Dead. You know, you want the people that just want to see someone get their face ripped off by a zombie, and then you've got the other people that are like, "Oh, I'm really interested in your story, and I just want to, you know, empathize with your little children character." You know, things like that. So it's a weird mix of audiences that it appeals to. I think it that kind of cast a wider net. Yeah, yeah, in a way that it would have been very, it, like, the universe, there are 99 universes where that game is very bad, and then there is <laughs> one where it is really good, and we just happen to be lucky enough to live in that one, right? <laughs> That's um, true. Yeah. Okay, so you, you get together with them, and they're talking about a project, they're going to make this new studio, and they decide to name it Campo Santo. Did you have any input in this? Uh, no, nah, I mean, we didn't have a name when we started. Uh, mostly that fell out of just the fact that A, it sounded cool, but more importantly, B, it was not already taken by some other organization or corporation, which, when you're trying to establish an actual corporate entity in the United States, is a very hard thing to find. Got you. Why this name? What does it mean? Uh, I mean, technically, I mean, it literally just like from Latin or whatever, romance languages in general, literally means just like sacred field, but in, it, in you know, Italian or Spanish, it just refers to a graveyard, <laughs> hence the reason why, like, a lot of the, a lot of the company branding, like, has the P that also looks like a skull, oh, um, okay. but it's most, it, it is mostly just a thing we 
thought sounded kind of cool and was not already taken by another entity. Yeah, there's no, there's no grand like, oh, because the field of our ideas, it's... it's <laughs> now, it's you could not, make up one, not, though, if no. you wanted. We could, we I just could. like the O's. I mean, really, that's what it's about for me. Like, Campo Santo. Yeah. That sounds very uh, yeah. Spanish, so... Yeah, it's, I mean, it's got a nice flow yes, to it. It's good. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, how is Firewatch born? How did this script and the story and all of that come about? Um, I think it was... It was an idea that Sean had had, um, I think he and Jake, they were, they were roommates for a while um, when they were both working at Telltale, and I think that was something they like just kind of kicked around idly for a while. Um, like I said, Sean also grew up in Wyoming, and so you know he'd seen like old, no longer in service lookout towers, just like I had, just like you know hiking around in the woods with your dad or whatever. Um, as he was thinking about, you know, making this game about isolation and only, you know, kind of, kind of the genesis was partially, you know, like the, 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 the trope of the kind of the voice in your ear character is definitely a thing that exists in games. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, like, disparagingly. It's like, it, it, there's, there's a myriad of reasons why that's kind of a trope because it's both functional and it works well aesthetically, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, kind of the question you're always left with is like, what if you could just talk back, right? It's like, what, what if you're playing Bioshock, but... Atlas isn't just talking at you. You can actually be like, so, Atlas buddy, what, what's, what's actually going on in this weird place here? Um, and so that was that combined with just like the isolation of you know, being someone out in the middle of nowhere doing this weird thing, which kind of keeps them away from anybody else. So it's like, okay, well, if, if, you know, if kind of the, the character focus in the game is one person talking to somebody else over radio well, why aren't there any other people around and you know if you're going to set a game in a relatively contemporary like not fantastical setting there's like a relatively finite number of situations where where that makes sense yes especially um, ones that that don't, don't involve like you know arm yeah, <laughs> yeah that aren't like specific because we didn't want to make like a horror capital h like horror game um, and we didn't want to have a game that's like, you know, like, you know, being like a lone soldier out on like recon or whatever. Like we didn't want to have a game with combat mechanics like that either. So it kind of like limits you to the number of possibilities, but being a fire lookout is a thing where that totally makes sense. Um, and that's kind of what the genesis of the idea was. And then it's just as more people got involved and we started talking with our producing partner, funding partner, whatever you want to call them, uh, Panic, this software company in Portland, that idea just got more and more concrete until finally we ended up with Firewatch. The tools that you had to use, which I think is made in Unity Engine, right? Yep. Uh, yep, yep. How did that affect the way that it ended up coming out? Was that limiting that you only you could only work within these particular tools, or was it built basically because uh, of that? Uh, I mean, it's always a little bit of both, right? Um, like, certainly there was things that were <laughs> that were made more challenging because we opted to go with unity but there were countless other things that were like probably the, the single best thing about working with unity for sure as compared to you know like another off-the-shelf game engine um is that the unity asset store is freaking nuts <laughs> there is there is so much stuff in that asset store for no dollars it is unbelievable. Like a big part of the kind of look and feel of Firewatch is like the, the coloring and the lighting, right? And a major component of that is like this lighting tool we got off the asset store, I think for 50 bucks. It's the kind of thing that it would like, it would take like a graphics, a good graphics programmer, like two to four weeks maybe to make up this tool. And then we bought it instantly for $50 and then it just worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there are things like that which make working with Unity pretty incredible. Um, I mean, it's you know it, it does show its heritage a bit where it's primarily been, for at least for like until, ah, I'd say the last year, year and a half, it, it was more primarily focused toward mobile games. So there's still like a little bit of that just inertia in there still, but it's getting much better. I mean, obviously we shipped on PS4 and mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. cool and great and everything. Um, yeah, so on balance, it was it was awesome, but it was definitely like you know, you're you're always building with your constraints in mind. But often that just means you got to get more clever, and then usually you come out with ideas on the other side that work work even better than if you'd had like you know 
the craziest friggin' Unreal 4 CryEngine <laughs> whatever, whatever. This game would be strange, though, with that. I mean, I can't see it with, like, you know, Unreal. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can obviously build stylized stuff in Unreal um, as well. It, do it doesn't necessarily want to do that right out of the box. You gotta kind of twist its arm a little bit. Um, it wouldn't be impossible, but definitely, like, if we tried to build the game but didn't make it nearly as stylized, if we wanted to make it photo real, mm -hmm. it would have been a very different game and probably, a, at least in my not-at-all-artist-visual-person opinion, a way less interesting one. Gotcha. At least aesthetically. So, what went really well that you're proud of, and what less so that you'd like to share? Um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, just in general, like, the reaction to the game has been certainly a lot, way more than we expected. Like, way more people connected with the game and connected with it in a lot of ways that we weren't really expecting. Like, even still, like, every few days we'll get a really, like, kind, heartfelt email from somebody that is like, that's that. I mean, you can't really top that, right? When someone's like, you know, when someone just connected with something on a really like profound personal level, that's. I don't know if you can ever hope to be doing creative work and like, <laughs> like do better than that, right? Um, some of the stuff, some of the stuff that I personally love in the game the most, um, the uh, the the wayfinding and the map in the game. It's it's like this in-world artifact. Uh, Jake especially, me a little bit, kind of did a lot of stuff on the map, especially, like, pr pretty pretty darn close to the end um, to give it a lot more razzle-dazzle, and I think that's, that's stuff that people have really appreciated. One thing I would say, if people haven't played the game, for, for various reasons, which I, I still think are the right ones, but by default, there's like a little just wayfinding, you are here mark on the map. Mm -hmm. But you can turn that off in the option setting so that, you know, you just have to, like, wayfind by looking at landmarks and trying to figure out where you are and stuff like that. And I think that's the more interesting way to play the game. Well, what do you think um, about this high-res map now? Because I believe you guys just released a high-res map where you can print it out. And if you want oh, yeah, to, totally like, co-op... And this is funny because Polygon's suggesting that you get your friends to get on walkie-talkies and go into other rooms and then, and then tell you yes. where to go. Which is a very, yes. very like, transition from, you know, single-player RPG to basically a, a tabletop, like, RPG game. So I think that would be the best way to play Firewatch, in my humble opinion. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was that was a thing that I think someone just like kind of offhandedly suggested on the Steam forums. We're like, oh, oh yeah, that's a really good idea. We should totally do that. <laughs> People love physical things, you know. And if you're if you're an old old school player, you know, back in the day when you actually you know had to sit here and play uh, Obsidian, you know, or Mist, and you had your journal and you wrote your stuff down, you know. Oh, and you get you get the cloth map in the yes. box, and it's the best. Yes. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, so the fact that it even harkens to a little bit of that is is pretty rad. Um, yeah, the uh, the 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 map is definitely one of the one of the, just like the physical objects in the game, as well as like broader systems that I for a game that generally does not is like primarily about its narrative content, right? Doesn't have like a lot of complicated mechanical systems. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the, that's the one that I'm still like super happy that we didn't just. You know, we could have done way less with that, and it probably would have been, like, serviceable. But that was one of those things where, like, kind of going the, the extra mile at least made me very happy, personally. And then it turns out that a decent number of people also connected with it, and I'm like, yeah, all right. Our extra effort was not, <laughs> was not just navel-gazing. Well, there's a sense of panic. At least I had one. Because the fire gets progressively bigger throughout the game as the two kind of merge toward each other. Oh, yeah. And if you're stumbling around... You know, there's certain places you go often enough that you know the trail, but then there's certain other places where you're stumbling around, you're looking at the map, and you're a bit a little bit nervous that you better move, get a move on, you know, before something might happen. So it was kind of interesting to see that that kind of feeling yeah, escalate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's um that's that's definitely um like if someone gets a little bit lost because of like kind of the smoke that happens a little bit later in the game, um, and that's an experience that I've you know, I've had in real life, not like. With a wildfire, of course, but you know, you're like walking in some, you're like doing going going on a hike that you've been on before. Except today, like it's really overcast and foggy, so you're like, I swear I've done this like a dozen times, but this seems weird. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't think I am where I thought I was. 
even though you're going to this place you've, you've been past dozens of times. Um, and that, like, being lost in the familiar just because, like, the atmosphere changed mm-hmm. is, is, like, a, a very tangible, real experience that, that may not be there for everybody, but for those who have it, I'm like, that's, that's a cool moment. It is. So are you intending people to, call, to consider these issues of, like, moral issues of truth and honesty and courage and, and the things that are kind of present in the game, basically via the dialogue um, between Delilah and Henry? Uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, that, that's another thing. The, uh, <laughs> one, one, maybe one of the things that was perhaps a bit less, less uh, enlivening when the, after the game came out is that, like, some, and I think it's, it is always the case that the naysayers are the most vocal, right? Um, <laughs> always. Always. Uh, but some people were, like, felt not super into the ending. Um, <laughs> we will talk about that. I have questions. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Perhaps we'll, we'll, we'll put a big, we'll, like, put the spoiler blast Exactly, right, before then. Bef- do not before, go further before we get there. not played the game. Yes. Um, so I think that there, there and I'll, I won't get into too much detail until we roll down into spoiler town, um, but there's kind of like two, one, I have heard from a number of folks that are like, initially I was like, ooh, wow, huh? But then the more I sat with it, the more I maybe came to understand that that was actually the, kind of the ending the game needed to have. Um, and then there's some other stuff where it's like, there was perhaps some things that were, we intended to be like a little bit, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to not be too give you away here, but there are things that we meant to be a bit complicated that maybe ended up being a little bit too complicated. Okay. Like, it, it, it seemed to be that, like, what we thought people would be like, oh, okay, I, mm, sure, I, I understand. And, and it, it, people got a little bit more wrapped up into certain things than maybe we expected. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was a bit surprising, not necessarily positively so. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think on balance, yes. like, it, 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 it's fine. I don't think we're all like, oh, what, what did we do? Blah. But it's the kind of things where it's like, you know, if we'd had a little bit more time and could have had more people run through the game tabula rasa, there's just probably like a few things we could have done to shore up that confusion. So even though people might not like the high-level creative decisions, at least they wouldn't get to the end and be kind of confused. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's so, a testing we, issue? We can, like, you, you're so close to it that you may already kind of just be so used to the way it I think that I think that was certainly part of it, yeah. Is the, the kind of thing where it's like, just because we un, we know everything, 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 everything mm-hmm. that is going on behind the scenes. I mean, we of course knew it was like, I mean, the game is definitely meant to be a mystery and we're like oh, okay well this this stuff will be kind of obscuring but then people will come to realize x y and z and then they'll put them all together um but then in truth maybe people got x and then only kind of got y so they couldn't get all the way to z and thus that made things a little bit more a little bit more confusing a little bit more like capital m mystery than perhaps we fully fully intended well I have a theory, and I read your article on poor readability and the decline of adventure games. And I f- oh, man. And I feel like the reason that perhaps people didn't understand this, and I'm going to count myself guilty, is because there is a lot of reading in this game, especially at the very end in the hideout area, which I won't go further right. in this part. If you don't go through and really read and look at the details of what's happening there, you could miss it. Yes. And people yeah, are there's lazy. definitely some of that. <laughs> they okay. don't read. Sure. They just don't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that part I'm not super bothered with. It, it's also one of those things that's like a little bit. And this was this is a thing that just kind of kept occurring like through the course of the game, right? Is that like because we we very much wanted you know kind of what the what the character Henry sees, and that's what the player knows, and that's it. That's kind of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even though we have a, a character, Delilah, that feels like a narrator, you know, she's not the voice of the game, right? She's not omniscient. In fact, it's, it's usually the opposite, where she knows less than Henry mm-hmm. does. And this was, this was definitely a challenge. Like, as we built the game, you know, I mean, of course, this is one of those things that's in the high side. I've been like, well, duh, of course it would have been that way. But early on, you know, we just kind of, like, naively implement stuff and be like, no, okay, yeah, Henry, Henry saw the fireworks that the kids were sending off. So now Delilah will talk to you about them later. But then we're like, wait a minute. If the player never told Delilah that he found the fireworks that the kids were setting off, Delilah doesn't know about them. <laughs> yes. So it had to be the thing where it's not like 
we can't base any anything that Delilah says off of what the player character has seen. We can only base it off what the the player the player has chosen to tell her about. Which, even if you tell her about everything, just puts her on like even footing with you in terms of what the player understands. And if you've decided to be withholding or just didn't think something was worth talking about or whatever, then she knows less than Henry does. And there's kind of like some you know, information that is outside of the context of where you immediately are that she may know more about and tell you about or whatever. But in terms of like the weird mystery details and stuff like that, she only knows what she tells you, which means that we can't, there isn't like really a voice that we have to interject into the game to be like, here's the great reveal (laughs) for what went on. So it's just kind of like, well, there's some stuff written down and hopefully you put it together. (laughs) And if you didn't, you didn't. And that I'm not, I'm not, quite as bothered by per se i mean there's obviously like a i think there's a small handful of tweaks we could have made just to make that stuff like a little bit more just it it was it was probably just slightly less obtuse to make it as obtuse as we kind of were intending it to be and not that like the maybe 15 percent more obtuse than we thought it was gotcha well so do you think then there's a good and bad way to play because you can kind of take this morally several different ways but i don't know if that actually affects the ramification of like your decisions actually affect the dialogue or the ending because I only played it. I'm gonna admit I only played it through once. Yeah, I mean there is there is a bit of bandwidth in terms of how the ending plays out. I mean obviously the the high level beats are the same no matter what. The kind of the context that that you know that the ending whatever it is uh, operates inside of definitely depends. Like even if it, even if it's just in the player's mind, right? Like kind of the relationship that has been building, that they've been building between these two characters over the course of the whole game, like that will absolutely frame, you know, kind of what the ending means to the person who played it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's, I mean, I think in some ways that's a more, like, intellectually interesting way to engage with, you know, work versus, like, you know, as much as I love it to death, and I do, I do, I do, I do, the fact that Deus Ex, either of them really, the first one or Human Revolution, you get to the end, it's just like, here's one of the four options you can choose. <laughs> Pick A, B, C, or D. And it's like, well, that, it's like, oh, your choices matter. It's like, well, except they, they also don't. We like to right? call it it's the like, Mass Effect. Yeah, it's like you can just kind of do whatever you want. Like the actual, like right, the actual your choices matter ending bit of Mass Effect. Like the point where that actually plays out is in the Citadel DLC, mm-hmm. right? Like that is that is actually the ending to that game, where everything you did, all the relationships you built up with all those other characters, you just get to like you just get to hang out with them. You get to like reminisce about the stuff you've done, but also kind of go on this weird, crazy, mad caper. And like that's that's where that satisfaction came from, right? And that doesn't, and that has nothing to do with the actual like A, B, or C ending. Um, and I think that like it's obviously the the scope is much diminished because <laughs> we made one game with ten people, not three games with like three hundred. <laughs> um, but those moments when you know you have inside jokes with Delilah that only happen because you happen to see this thing on this particular day and make some quip about it. And then, you know, a few days later, she remembers and kind of calls it back to you. And then you can build upon that to decide to name something you see in the game permanently, something based on this inside joke you shared. But it only happened because, you know, someone did the correct thing, not correct, but someone had the experiences to let that, like that little inside joke between Heron and Delilah even be possible. Um, and I think that's a, a, a more, not necessarily more interesting, but I think that's another way to kind of explore that, like, making the characters feel like real people in a way that's not like, you know, oh, you made a good decision, so your Delilah likes you meter goes uh-huh. up. Okay. Or you you chastised her for drinking too much, so her Delilah likes you meter goes down. Um, so you could I, be I mean, you I, could just be a jerk if you wanted the whole time and you would still like she would still continue to talk to you. She wouldn't just turn off the mic at any given time and just be like no walkie-talkie for you. I mean there are a couple times in the game where if you're if you're a douche, she's like I've done that. Henry, I'm just going to I'm just going to need you to chill out for a yeah, bit. I'm going to go away. Talk to you later. Yeah. Yeah, she's yes. done that. There are definitely a couple moments where that happens, but it's not like this 
systemic thing where we're tracking like her opinion on you or whatever. <laughs> it's a little bit more compartmentalized than that, just because like having to do that level of dynamism would just have been impossible. And I don't even know if it would have been good. Maybe it would have been good. I have no idea. But it definitely would have been way out of scope for what we as 10 people could do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, now I'm going to ask you to tell people where they can find the game, which is available on PC, uh, iOS, or just OS, and then uh, PS4, and where else where else will people find this? Because I'm going to spoiler from this point on, and in case anyone doesn't want to listen to that, I want them to know where they can go. Ah. Yep, um, I mean, the main place to go is just firewatchgame.com. And then from there, you'll get your links over to Steam for the PC, Mac, and Linux versions, or a link to the PlayStation Store where you can get it for PS4. Um, or, obviously, if you want it for PS4, you can just go to the PS4 thing on your console and just search for Firewatch. Yay. Yeah, and I will I will put in a plug. It's, it's a shameless plug, but I don't care because I did nothing to do with it, and I think it's really awesome. Um, uh, Jane Ng, our artist, and Ollie, with a little help from Ben, one of our programmers, uh, put together a dynamic theme for the PS4, oh. which is actually synced to the time on your PS4 system clock. So if it's if it's if you're if you fire up your PS4 in the morning, it'll have this like nice orangey sunrise thing. But if you're playing like in the middle of the day, it'll be like this delightful blue, and then at night it like rolls over to a star field and stuff. I think it's very cool, and it is the only thing that displays the transistor theme on my PS4. <laughs> Day so night cycle. If people are if if people are looking for it on their PS4, they should just they should just go all in and also snag the theme because it's really freaking cool. Okay. Excellent. Okay. So from this point on, if you've not played the game and you don't want to ruin it for yourself, you should probably stop listening and then come back and listen to another show later. Yeah. And the game is like definitely a capital M mystery, so I would say you really should. Yeah, you shouldn't spoil <laughs> it for yourself. No, you will be sad. Okay, this is completely ancillary, but I just need to know. Every time you go to open up one of the um, the boxes, and inside the boxes there's pine cones and pictures and like weird t-shirts and books and dialogue from these two guys that have just left messages for each other forever. What is this about? Because I'm just so interested in these guys. Like, actually... Oh, good old Ron and yes, Dave? Yes, yes! I want the, the Ron and Dave game. I want to know more about that. <laughs> I mean, that is, like, literally there are just six notes. Um, it's just about, like, two guys, like, Henry isn't, uh, he's not a ranger, right? He does he isn't, he isn't a ranger. <laughs> Being a ranger for the National Forest Service, I mean, not, requires, like, a lot of training expertise. And not to disparage all the hardworking fire lookouts, but in the, in the, in the, in the, in the fictionalized version of Firewatch, the idea is the fires in Yellowstone in 88 caused this big hiring boom, you know, the government kind of reacting after the fact, to hire a bunch of lookouts who may not be that qualified to do the job, hence why Henry gets the <laughs> I job. I wondered why he was um, so quick to get that job. Yes, indeedy. Um, so, but Ron and Dave are a couple of guys who are actual rangers, and because they're rangers, like, they almost never, they're not, they're not going to be, like, working side by side, right? So they were leaving these notes for each other just because, like, they don't see each other very much, and they're all obviously out in the bush the whole freaking time so it's not like they can like leave each other texts or voicemails right mm -hmm. um so it's just these two dudes who back in 86 like were just kind of chatting back and forth about their lives about stuff that was going on between themselves um and that culminates in one of my favorite moments in the game and probably something almost nobody ever finds where if on day 78 that's the day where you, you know, after, after the crazy thing at night where you, like, follow the wave receiver and you find that weird backpack with the key on it and all mm -hmm. that. Um, the next day, uh, if you go out to, as you're coming back from Brian's, like, little hideout fort thing, if rather than veering straight back to the cave on the left, if you go up to the right, um, you find something else, which I can talk about it or not. But you also find Ron and Dave's, like, one of their, like, their drinking spot. Um, and there, there's a cassette tape. And you pick up that cassette, you'll play it in the Walkman you found taped to your door on the night before. And what it is, it is our composer, Chris Remo, as, oh, I forget if it's supposed to be Ron who's singing or Dave. But um, one of them had found the lyrics that 
uh, Raccoon Carter had wrote. So the dude who used to live in the burndown fire lookout, Hawk's Rest, mm-hmm. um, he wrote uh, a song called Old Shoshone. And the lyrics for that are actually stuffed into that that kind of dilapidated outhouse by Hawk's oh, Rest. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So the, the idea being that Ron or Dave, I forget who, had also fa- had found those lyrics, but it actually recorded, like, had put the instrumentation to it and recorded it and left it for the other dude. <laughs> so if you hike way there... They romance. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Um, so if you find that cassette and play it, then you get, like, this weird, like, montage moment where you're just, like, kind of walking around as Henry, except you're listening to, to, the, to one guy's cover of Old Shoshone. And one, the song is really good. It is on the soundtrack too. So if, if anyone listened to the soundtrack on Bandcamp and were like, "What the what the hell? What is this song?" Because <laughs> um, it's like it's like the only song in the, on the soundtrack that has lyrics, right? Um, so that's where that's from. And yeah, it's it's a very cool moment that is definitely off the beaten track. But uh, it is a cool. It is a it is a thing in the game that I really like. And also the after. Uh, Probably, I, I had to do some testing with that like right before we uploaded the final build to Steam. Um, so I had that song stuck in my head for like the first week that the game came out. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay, so <coughs> let's talk about the ending. Um, there's a point where Henry is wandering around um, after the girls have set off the fireworks and he's kind of scared them. and They've made a secondary camp. And they stole his sheets, or his, um, yeah, his sheets. And the yep. camp's completely wrecked. So are we to assume later on that that uh, Ned had wrecked their camp because he wants people to just be out of the area? Yes. That's what we assume. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was Ned that stole your sheets. Ed. He just hauled them over to the girls' camp when he wrecked their camp and just left them there. So you'd think, oh, those goddamn girls were the ones who broke into my tower because they had my sheets. But now something weird happened to them, a bear or whatever, but they're gone. So now I can just get back to my normal life and everything's fine. Okay. And the government... And, 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 and for like two months, that works. Yes. Well, you'd think, though, that, that Ned listening to the, the ridiculous banter between Delilah and Henry, he would realize that they're really not a threat to, to discovering his big secret. Like, why does he keep going after them and trying to you know lay this false trail etc he's just this paranoid that they're going to find out about brian yeah exactly that like everything is fine you know he's just i mean he's a little off kilter um he was actually kind of sort of based on there's this dude um who they called the main hermit and he was this guy who like it was like this weird it was somewhere in like relatively rural maine um it was like this kid's like neighborhood folktale, right? Where it was like, oh, there's this weird old guy that lives out in the woods, and you know, if 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 you're not good, he'll steal you away or whatever. Um, and then it turns out that like a year ago, they found this dude who had actually been living like oh my gosh. in the woods, kind of near this small town for like twenty something years, and nobody had any idea who was out there, like. He was relatively self-sufficient, but occasionally he'd break into people's homes just to steal, like, basic necessities and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, like, doing that, I mean, as, as vicious or as Maine winters are, I'm sure, is, is nothing <laughs> compared to Wyoming in the mountains. Um, so, I guess Ned was slightly, was even more hardcore than that guy. Uh, but, um, yeah, anyway, the interesting thing about, like, you know, you expect the... Um, like the hermit would like the, the the actual guy. I forget his I forget his real name. Um, but like he's like this you know you think like the weird guy living on the woods. He's like some frothing like Unabomber wacko dude, and he wasn't. He was like a real. I mean, he was obviously like again a bit off kilter, but like a relatively like put together, thoughtful person who just like for his own reasons just couldn't live in normal society anymore. Um, and so obviously Ned has that, but he's also like, you know, racked with guilt over the fact that, you know, he, he wasn't, this thing happened to Brian and he wasn't able to deal with it. Yeah, he seems like he's got some kind of PTSD or something too, like some sort of war. Wasn't he a veteran of some sort? It- yes, yeah, he was, he was, he had, he had been in the service. Okay. Um, uh, 
But yeah, so everything is fine. Mean, he just like, you know, he just, he listens to them just kind of for entertainment and amusement. He's also just kind of taking these weird notes because that's just sort of a thing that he does. Um, but then uh, he just happens to accidentally, like he was down at the lake probably also fishing um, and just happens, to, like here's Henry coming, drops his clipboard on that rock by the lake and then that's where everything goes uh, And that's where you find walkie talkie. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then that's where everything gets weird. Because then he's like, oh, crap. Now they know that somebody is at... Like, that wasn't on purpose. That was just an accident that Ned just kind of messed up after being, like, getting kind of, you know, getting kind of sloppy uh, after, like, two months of them, of him, like, living right under their noses and then them having no idea. I thought he was messing and with them psychologically. I wasn't sure what that was about. I thought it was... Not, not, not until after you find the clipboard on the radio. At that point, that's when... Re- that's when that's when things get weird, and at that point, Ned starts very deliberately trying to do a bunch of stuff just to keep them, like, to keep them away from the cave, to make them think all this weird, crazy crap is going on. Just like, because it's not like he's got some grand scheme. He's just kind of making stuff up, trying to hope that they'll get so spin off, sp- spun up that they'll either just completely bug out or do something so dumb that they get, like, removed or relieved or whatever before they actually go poking around in the cave. Uh, and then, of course, that doesn't work out. Yes. Okay, so when we find Brian's camp, he's got a bunch of hiking gear that he's hidden there because he doesn't want to go hiking with Ned anymore. And yeah. he's just trying to pretend, I guess, he doesn't have any, so he won't be forced to. But clearly he was forced to and somehow used hiking gear. So was that supposed to be Ned's hiking gear? Where did he get that gear that, that malfunctioned, or if it did yeah. malfunction? The, um, what, what, is, what is often the case... It, it, this this even happens like with rock climbers in the real world like people will often leave anchors like either just because they sunk them and then they can't freaking get them back out or just kind of like as a service to future climbers or whatever uh. so they being like they were doing a bunch of climbing um just on on above ground i guess like sheer cliff faces whatever which is where brian lost his backpack and then after that he he stashes all all of his all of their climbing gear that they've been using, so hopefully his dad won't make him keep doing this thing that he's not really into and he's not super good at. And then instead, uh, like, they're like, oh, well, some, Ned was like, some of this, I, I presume, I mean, obviously this is just my conjecture, like, I'm sure Sean has some specific idea, but basically that like, oh, but there's this other climbing gear that's still, that someone had left in this cave, we can go climbing down there instead. But then that gear just happened to give way. There was an accident. Okay. Because Delilah kind of infers that perhaps Ned had like a sinister motive and he actually killed Brian. But that's not really proved out by any of the things that you find around. No, it's not. Okay. Yeah. I think that is, that is, uh, again, this is just my personal conjecture, but that is probably Delilah hoping that, you know, that she can blame more of this on Ned. Rather than right. feeling guilty for not actually telling people that Brian was there. And then the, the, and that he would have thus been forced to leave. Oh, okay, okay. Now, have you had a lot of reaction where... I, I thought this was interesting. You have this woman who you really don't know much about. You know, you know, there's no, like, age. There's no appearance because Henry doesn't really ask her about herself that much. Um, and she's kind of reluctant to talk about strange situation with the dating world um but right. then at the end you know you're rushing to to get out and you never see delilah never once you don't and there's no pictures of her even though she's drawn pictures of henry etc like there's no face for delilah and i i was wondering if there was any kind of like reaction to this because people seem like they really want to mac on delilah and they, they get no resolution maybe yeah i mean it seems i think i think definitely like you know, people wanted to meet her at the end, and like obviously, Henry did as well, right? Like, the fact that that like the fact that that's disappointing isn't unintentional, but like it's disappointing because that's like that's 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 the story, right? Like it's it's not supposed to be this grand, like, you know, romantic ending where like Henry and Delilah get together and then they go like often live this wonderful i mean it's like if that was the ending you were expecting like i'm not sure <laughs> it, what game you were playing until you got to that point right 
Um, well, I felt super guilty uh, because, you know, his wife's got Alzheimer's and, you know, Delilah is flirtatious and, you know, you can play it different ways, but I felt like really guilty as I was not having it as Henry. I was just not ready to move on mentally. Yeah. And that's, and that's like one of those things that's super complicated, right? Like, you know, Julia, she's not, she's not deceased, but certainly it's like she might, like for all intents and purposes, she kind of is yeah. depend, depending on what you what you kind of believe her mental state to be like if she can't remember who you are you know then it's like is is she still the person that she was i, I mean I, I i personally don't know how you how you, you negotiate that and i just hope that I, I never have to do that myself with my own spouse <laughs> because oh god um yeah so that's one of those things like it's meant to be complicated because it is really complicated um, and it's not like, yeah, if someone's like, you know, even, even though this person might not know who I am, I still feel like I have some responsibility or obligation. And it's like, that's completely legitimate. Or if someone's like, you know, the person that I fell in love with, they're not, they're not there anymore. So mm -hmm. like me being like miserable isn't, it's not going to do anything for them. Like it's not going to improve, improve their quality of life. They, they just want me to be happy. So Maybe there's this other thing with somebody else that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's it is it is complicated <laughs> because sometimes things are complicated. Are there any secret things that have been put in the game? Like, um, I mean, you know, as as a dev, you can put something in there that maybe is hidden, like this tape you're talking about, which is a pretty cool, like extra secret song feature. Did you guys put personal aspects in the game at all? for yourselves oh yeah totally yeah we we're 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 hideously indulgent people um there's 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 so much <laughs> in, in the game that is just quips we thought were funny or like weird jokes that we shared that just got out of control like there's these series of paperback novels yes that are all like what is that about yeah, that that's just like a joke that i think initially chris Thought like you know, basically an airport like kind of garbagey, pulpy <laughs> detective novel, I, written by a guy named Dick Sturgeon. I wanted to collect them all and I couldn't. Yeah, I mean you can, but you do have to like kind of hustle them all back to your lookout <laughs> manually, which is which is a bit taxing. Um, yeah, that was just like a thing Chris thought would be funny, and then Ollie did a bunch of like. It was like I think I think maybe Ollie came up with a murder by numbers thing, murder by the numbers thing. So everyone is like this horrible number pun. Um, the copy on the back is just some of the most egregious, just like <laughs> awful groaning puns. Because that's just like that's just a thing that happens in the office constantly. It is like a race to the bottom <laughs> for making just just the most awful pun jokes. Um, Oh my gosh! Yeah, th there's 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 those. Um, there was a uh, on one of the um, um, one of the books specifically is called Terminal Seven, and it's not only is it like, does it have like the the terrible like now a major motion picture cover where all the rest of them are like this very stylized like two tone thing that has this visual symbolism on it. That one is just like. The trashy, it got made into a movie version, so then they slapped the movie on like a re release of the paperback. Um, and I, along with a buddy of mine up here in town, Jesse Turner at Slick Entertainment, run a Netrunner podcast called the Terminal 7, which has nothing to do with airports. Um, but Ollie found, found a way to make that one work out, uh, just sync up naturally. And he might have had that idea when he was sitting in Terminal 7 at SFO waiting to go back to England. <laughs> um, there's a couple nods to some other games that we love, uh, like Jane. Jane loves, Jane Ng, our environment artist, she loves Bioware's offerings. Um, so she managed to, to sneak a couple of things in there. Um, I might have I might have asked Jane very nicely to put in a little, a little uh, Bloodborne nod. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a bit of there's there's all kinds of super indulgent stuff in there. Um, there is actually oh god, all right, and this is probably the most obtuse one. Um, in the lookout tower, right by the sink on the far right, at the bottom left, there is this board game called Doctor President, 
and it's, it was published by Summer Games. So the voice of Henry is Rich Summer, who is on, who's notable for playing Henry Crane on Mad Men. Um, but he ended up getting in touch with us because he loves, 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 loves board games. And uh, one of our tools programmers, Patrick Ewing, um, not the basketball one, just the guy in San Francisco who used to work at Twitter but now helps us, um, he had had this board game mailing list that Rich was on, uh, and they chatted very briefly just about some board game stuff. So like when we were trying to cast uh, Henry, we had such a difficult time of it. Like Almost immediately we knew that Sissy Jones is going to be Delilah. Sissy had worked with Sean and Jake um, on The Walking Dead. She was Katya in the first season of The Walking Dead. And she'd done... I mean, she's been in, like, yes. freaking every video game ever. She's incredible. Um, so, like, we technically had a couple other ladies read for Delilah, but as soon as we... They were like, no, it's Sissy is the one. But we were trying to cast Henry, and it was so, 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 so difficult. Like, we listened to so many reads, and none of them were right. And then Riches showed up just like by this, we're like, we're like, oh God, I don't think we can possibly afford to pay somebody who was on Mad Men. Like, what? <laughs> I know, it was a great uh, well, show. Yeah, so it's like, okay, well, fine. Like, we'll have him read anyway, just in case. Um, and then Richard did it. And not only was it absolutely incredible, like, oh God, yes, that's the one. Um, but because Rich was so, so, so into board games, he had, I think, maybe mentioned to Sean that I think someone asked him, it's like, if we were going to put, like, some goofy board game in the game, like, what kind of one would it be? And Rich mentioned he had this fondness for this old, like, 60s-era board game called Mr. President, which is all about, like, you know, being the president and, like, managing the U.S., blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, right? Um, so then what we put in was the more ridiculous version where you're the president, but you are also a surgeon. And thus, it's like, I, I don't remember. Someone had a pitch for what the, what the game would have actually been. I think it was like maybe a weird combination of Operation and like Kennedy versus Nixon wow. or something. I don't remember exactly. But yeah, that one is definitely one of the, the most obtuse and in, perhaps indulgent references we built into the game. But there's a lot. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, yeah. I have to say, when the fire got big and I was leaving at the end, I took my turtle with me. Now, you can take... There is a turtle you can take as a pet, and it ends up oh, yes. it ends up in the tower. But I took it with me because I felt bad leaving it. So Of course, so you should. Yeah, so what's the deal with the turtle? You just, just threw a turtle in there? Yeah! <laughs> okay. They're like turtles. I thought it'd be cool. Um, yeah, because, like, you know... We, we, did, we didn't have the animation bandwidth to do, like, a ton of animals, right? And it's like, the truth is, if you're hiking around in the woods in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, you ain't going to see many animals because you're a big, loud, doofy person, and they know you're coming, and they just go away. Like, there are plenty of birds, right? So we've got all kinds of birds, but, like, in terms of mammalian-type creatures, or I guess in this case reptilian, um, like, they just tend not to be around. Like, we managed to find a way to get, like, a couple raccoons in there, and there's that elk at the beginning. But we're like, okay, well, what's a creature that would be really simple? Like, what's a, what's a creature that's really easy to animate and create? It's like, well, we could have a turtle. Turtles <laughs> make sense. Like, the western box turtle exactly. lives about in that area. And then James just went to town. Of course, someone, maybe Ollie, maybe somebody else, like, made some quip about, like, oh, well, if we find a turtle, we got to call him Turt Reynolds. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, but what about Shelley Duvall? And then... It just, it just, it went, went from there. <laughs> okay, I think that's pretty much all my questions. Is there anything else that you want to share with people? No, I mean I don't think so. Um, no, really, it's just for if anyone has played Firewatch, that is that is really really cool and tremendously appreciated. We definitely did not expect people would be into this. We, I mean, we knew that like maybe there'd be a few people out there who'd like a weird game like this. We certainly did not expect this many folks to be into it. So it's been. It's been really, really quite, quite, quite wonderful. And if, if folks have played the game or eventually do and then come back and listen to this, you are awesome. And thank you very much. Do you have plans for something else? Are you guys moving on to a different game? Uh, oh, God. Right now we are just in, like, it's still doing some amount of support and recovery mode. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. I'm sure, I mean, like, ultimately at some point we'll some collection subset of us will do some other thing down the road or some other things maybe 
Um, but we have spoken about that like only the tiniest shred above zero. <laughs> Yeah, so it's definitely going to be a bit of a bit of chilling out for a while, and until we uh, until we recharge a bit. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, of course, my pleasure. Thank you very much for reaching out and inviting me to be on.